Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Mike Newton. Hello, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you? Excellent. How are you? Uh, lovely. Uh, you know, getting into the uh, the deep freeze of a Montreal winter is always uh, always entertaining. Yeah, almost there. Another, what, three months? <laughs> uh, I guess it depends on who you ask and what your perspective of winter is. So yeah, it could be anywhere from six weeks to three months. Well, I think it ends in July for me, so... Oh, there you um, go. So, it's, yeah, it's not that far out. <laughs> uh, today, we're talking with a punk rock entrepreneur. His name is Alex Bastide. He's the co-founder... Sorry, he's the founder of Le Gros Luxe. Uh, that's the big restaurant chain. They recently went to a franchise model. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about his uh, his authorship of a book, even, about his journey and about sort of being uh, an entrepreneur who's against the grain. And then later in the show, we're going to talk PR, and uh, you're actually going to pepper me with some questions, Mike, about um, working with creatives, about you know uh, the process of PR and um, putting yourself out there. Nothing like a few years of uh, you peppering me for me to turn around and get at least 15 minutes to drive you crazy. So we're all good. Yeah, you can uh, turn up the heat. It doesn't bother me. We've had a, a pretty, pretty busy pandemic, so we've seen it all. Um, looking forward to the conversation with Alex uh, in a yeah. little while. First, though, some news and notes. And uh, Mike, this one this one piece you picked out might be one of the more controversial headlines we've ever discussed on the program. And we want to point out first that when we talk about burnout, of course, there's a lot of you know uh, mental health issues that go into that, and we have to be sensitive to that. But it could also be other things as well on top of that. And it could be perhaps a lack of purpose. So the headline is, is your burnout from too much work or too little impact? Tell me about this kind of uh, edgy piece here. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting to look. I mean, we have a tendency to fall into, I guess, what uh, what the media and what social norms are when it comes to burnout, and we always have a tendency to think it's it's an overwork. Um, it, but then you'll ask yourself the question: Well, how come some people can work 14, 16, 18 hours a day for an extended period and never get burnt out, while others can feel burnout after you know shorter periods of time? And and I think what this this report really emphasized to me is burnout isn't necessarily a function of too much work. Uh, it's a function of too little impact. And, you know, work-related stress doesn't just come from the amount of work that you're doing. It also comes from stressors like dealing with people, uh, juggling your work and your personal life, or lack of job security. So as you go through the pandemic, I mean, you, you know, the, I think burnout right now is uh, after what are we, 22 plus months through this exercise, everybody's sitting back and going, you know, watch out for burnout, watch out for burnout. And some people are saying to you, well, you know, it's not an issue. Uh, you know, funny enough, uh, one of my partners sent me an article the other day about burnout and leadership. Uh, and he said, you know, watch out, be careful. And, you know, I said, I may go postal long before I burn out just because of the people issues more than everything else. So I, I think, you know, once you've got that purpose, once you've got a goal, burnout doesn't take on the same scenario. So, you know, I, and I think there's a strong correlation between the challenge level and satisfaction level at work, meaning that as the degree of challenge in your work increases, so does your job satisfaction. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with burnout. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, uh, it doesn't eventually catch up to people, but I think the tolerance and the timing is very interesting when you look at uh, the purpose and the reason and, and you know, people, uh, you know, everybody's had this discussion over the years, you know, if I, do you have a career? Or do you have a job? If you have a career and you have a purpose and you feel like you're doing something as opposed to just punching a clock somewhere, your, shall we call it tolerance for so many things around you is very, very different. 
I read a piece the other day on LinkedIn that was about someone's father. She was expressing how sad she was about his working conditions and the fact that a supervisor essentially kind of made his life miserable. So in some cases, burnout could be the result of a systemic error or just a person above you not doing their job properly. And there's there's a probably there hopefully is a systemic fix to that, which may be the HR department or the boss. Yeah, I, I think I think the pandemic and, and the work from home environment is really accentuated that fact. I mean, the, the old the old adage was, you know, two people can work in the same company doing the exact same job and working for two different managers. And one person can say it's the greatest job they've ever had. And the other person will tell you it's the worst job they've ever had and they can't wait to leave. Why? Same work, same environment, same culture, different person above them. And I think with what the pandemic has created is a very difficult opportunity as you know as we've said many times especially for younger workers who have either not been in office or not had an opportunity to see the environment because they've been working from home from the beginning take their cues and take their relationship from one person if that supervisor above them happens to be really good and gets it then their environment and their experience is so much more positive if you get a supervisor or a manager above you who doesn't get it no matter how many times they check in with you how many times they can call you every day to see if you're doing well the reality is is the pressure associated with a bad relationship or a bad mentoring can make and add to everything that, that, that falls into the ultimate burnout this uh, piece from the New York Times is pretty interesting about how COVID is really impacting all businesses. We're certainly going to talk about that with Alex in a few minutes. Uh, the restaurant industry, of course, uh, especially hard hit here in Quebec. But when it comes to living with COVID, the New York Times, uh, this piece writes, uh, businesses are on their own. And, you know, the, the amount of, of classic businesses we've seen go under recently, I mean, the latest was the Slovenia um, a butcher shop that was on Saint Laurent yep. for so many years, uh, both butcher shops named Slovenia in the plateau closing uh, during the pandemic, which I found sad. I, I like them both. And it's, it's, uh, it's tough because a lot of business owners feel that they are uh, being left to their own devices. And, and that's quite sad. Yeah. You know, we, we, it, it, the hard part is the fact that we have no formal national plan for any of this. It's been left to the provincial level. Uh, within that, it's then left more to the municipal levels to deal with. And you've got an environment south of the border, which is, again, all over the map on everything. So, you know, I think employers have, uh, we have, we have been instructed or been guided on broad stroke, big picture uh, items, uh, whether you call that lockdown and everything else. But the reality of the scenario is, is the environment that you're working in and the business that uh, that you're in is, is you know, as, as Alex will talk to us about after, I mean, it, it's about tailoring to the environment and, and, and trying to find something on the community levels. Well, we've, we've applied the same rules across the board. And, and, you know, whether you're vaccinated or you're unvaccinated, our government has basically treated us all the same. I know it's changing. And I know we're moving into that direction, but it means as an employer, you have very little say in, in, in how you bring your team back. You have very little say in uh, what it does. So what's happening now is I think we're going to finally, because many people are feeling that the pandemic is going to become endemic by the spring, the fact that we've kind of, I don't want to say, you know, we, we, we've peaked and are on the downside because there's still a lot of negativity going on, but we have to shift away from what we have traditionally had in Canada and specifically in Quebec, which is that kind of zero tolerance. We don't want to case around. Let's avoid all cases to now going back to a risk management model, which a business owner 
owner is, is capable of managing. I mean, Alex, will, I'll tell you the same thing. When I know what my risks are, I'm capable of managing them. If you're managing the scenario for me, ultimately at the end of the day, I am I, I don't have control over my own business. And the, and the mindset has to shift from ultimate protection where we lock everybody down and we don't send anybody anywhere to the point where we start to manage risks. The reason the government hasn't jumped into this is it's now going to step on toes from a from a political standpoint. It means you're going to have to be, as the restaurants have had to do, you're going to exclude people who are unvaccinated. You're going to have to start setting standards that differentiate the way people have been acting over the last little while. And most businesses have not I've stayed away from making that call, okay, in terms of mandates and, and to bring people back on, on, on vaccination because they're afraid to lose people. We're in such a tight labor market that the employers are saying, you know what, I'll find a way to dance the dance. Well, you know what, 22 and a half or 23 months or wherever we stand at this point into it, it's time to kind of take back our businesses and now start to make the decision. So our businesses on our own, yes, we're not getting the guidance we should from the government. Um, and I, I, I'm at the point where I don't think we are going to get those tough decisions being made by the government. Oh, yeah, I can hear uh, certainly a lot of uh, dilemmas that you probably faced with with your clients over the last few months in, in their mic. And, um, you know, I, it's interesting because the, the, the government is sending mixed signals and, and have uh, various Canadian governments have been sending mixed signals for a long time. So it is it is quite confusing. Um, entrepreneurs don't know whether to take a hard line or not. In these scenarios, it's often good to to be what more cautious than government, or how do you how do you gauge uh, what the best practices are if they're if they're in development? I'm sure this will be a controversial statement, but you know the reality is at the early stages. I'm not a big government kind of guy, never have been, but there is a place for government intervention and control, and that's some of the economy as well as health and medical. And uh, the reality is, is at the beginning of the pandemic and up until recently, when we're getting the vaccines out and doing everything, the government, you know, had a job to do. There is a limitation going forward as to how you can use that as a business owner. And I think, as I said, we have to shift away from this ultimate protection mentality, which we've had. We get people vaccinated, we get people back into an environment, and then we start doing what's in the best interest of the group, as opposed to the one-offs, which is where traditionally we have been managing the scenario over the last you know, a year and a half or two years. What do you do with the unvaccinated? You're, you're an entrepreneur, you have an employee who still refuses at this point. What do you do? If you're in an environment where they're capable of working effectively and efficiently from home, uh, you're in a much easier position to make that decision where you can say, you know, double vaxxed or double vaxxed and boosted, come to the office, everybody's unvaxxed, stay and work from home. You do not jeopardize an employment, you do not jeopardize potentially their future. It's an easier call to make at that point. Uh, even though most firms and the professional services firms as we are have shied away from taking a hardline approach, uh, I think you're going to have to. And I think the fact that there's an ability for people to work from home makes it a lot more palatable. For those businesses where you cannot work from home from an anti-vax, you are really going to have to take a stand and decide, am I prepared to lose people over it in a, mar in a tight labor market? Am I prepared to face what could well be uh, you know, potential legal uh, situations going forward. And this is really where I think the government needs to stand in and, and, and step into this. It's, it's not about necessarily deciding whether we can 
come back or not come back. I think that's up to the entrepreneur. I think what has to happen is once the decision is made, what is most valuable and uh, in the best interests of the group, uh, I don't think an employer should be afraid that they're going to have to be taken to court because they have had to have somebody who's been unvaccinated work from home or worse, can't give them a job. And this is where the precedent needs to be from the government. This is where they need to step in from a legal side. We're going to come back to this for sure, because there's a dual communications problem here. And uh, just as we had to learn how to adapt to the pandemic, we're going to have to figure out a way to adapt to the endemic and hopefully um, adapt to the way out and the way back to normal. So that's that's a huge communications problem for government. Yeah, I will say, Dan, that it, to me now, it's it's basically living with COVID. And that really is, how do we live with this and go back to some sense of normalcy in order to get not just the businesses back up and running, but the mental health component of people that have been buried in a basement or working in their, you know, the, a bedroom for so long that really need to get back out into the market. And, you know, once we've, once we've opened the doors, trust me, it's not all going to be solved overnight. I mean, there's a, there, there's a huge fear factor in coming back to the office. There's a huge fear factor in people going out to restaurants that haven't been out to a restaurant. I mean, this is, we still got a road ahead of us. And the longer we wait, uh, the harder this is going to continue to be. And Micah, we have a very interesting entrepreneur. Um, almost everyone in Montreal, I'm sure, knows the brand. It's been in every borough. I mean, this place is everywhere. It's called Le Gros Luxe. And the founder is Alex Bastide. Alex, welcome to today's entrepreneur. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, we'll talk about your book, your work. Uh, you're sometimes known as a punk entrepreneur, founder of Underworld, the skate shop and promotional movement. Uh, we were talking before the show. I went to one of your concerts 25 years ago when I was in high school. So really something that is uh, deeply tied to the punk rock community. And you brought that right through into the restaurant business. Uh, first, tell me, for those that don't know, what is Le Gros Luxe? Well, Grolux is a comfort food uh, restaurant. Um, I, I, it's like a neighborhood restaurant. So that's what it was all about, like opening in different cool hipster, I may say, uh, um, neighborhood and just try to provide good food, good environment, good customer experience, cool cocktails, especially uh, when we open, like people were mostly focused on beer and wine in restaurant. And we really came with a very strong game of cocktails and the mixology and just reinventing the classic plates and making them like fun and, you know, Instagrammable, you know, and just having the whole branding around it. And really my customer service, like very, very friendly, very in inviting, you know, for everyone to like, doesn't matter which religion, color, anything. Like I really wanted to make, build this place for everyone. And it worked, you know, I wanted to see family. I wanted to see friends. I wanted to create like a very cool environment where people are sharing food and drinks and stories, of course. It's, uh, it's fascinating because if you, if you take from, uh, I guess, the beginnings that you had, and you mentioned that, Dan, is Underworld and, and, and how that's brought you to a restaurant, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a change of pace there. There's no doubt. Uh, as well as I think the, uh, I guess, trying to maintain that, that tone. I mean, you know, Dan, you said you were, went to one of his shows when you, were, when you were in high school. Well, my son was playing drums uh, in a band that was playing somewhere between death metal and some, uh, some uh, heavy punk in, in, in the Montreal scene. And I got to tell you, I went to see him a few times and I was the only one there. And boy, you want to feel like standing out like a sore thumb. So, you know, that that kind of environment has a very has its own culture, has its own feel to it. And, and, and it's a very loyal group. 
Uh, and it's a very large Montreal's, uh, you know, underground and his punk scene has been huge for decades. How was that played into when you started Grow Looks and, 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 and what does that mean to the following and the network that you had? Well, the thing is, when I started Underworld, I was 19. When I started Grolux, I was 39 or 37. So that's almost 20 years later. And as you said, this community, they stick to it. They don't really change. I mean, some of them will quit, but most of them, they, they remain punk rock. They keep skateboarding and, they, and they're sharing this passion with their kids and their friends and their friends stick together, even though they all work and sometimes even a corporate job. I mean, on the weekend, they're still going to put their jean jacket and their punk rock t-shirt and go to a punk rock show and drink some beer and swear and dance and sweat and, you know, go crazy. And then Monday morning, they go back to their regular job. So it's really a lifestyle. It's really hard to quit because this, this lifestyle is actually a mentality. It's a movement. So at some point, one, it's in your head and it's in your heart. You don't leave this community. And Grolux was for me, I wanted to create a place where those people are going to feel welcome with their kids, with their Ramones t-shirts, have an affordable meal with some cooked cocktails or some beer if they want some beer or wine. Just make sure everyone's got something. I even had like a kid's menu, you know, like everything was there to be very welcoming to that artist community, graffiti artists, uh, like all those people. That was my first like customer I wanted, but then everybody else followed, you know, because we had the influencer on our side, uh, but not the same kind of influencer we have these days, but, I still want to call them influencer because they were part in, you know, of the of this beautiful community. And um, that was the first, the, the way I wanted to build the, the brand at the beginning. So you use the word influencer. So I, I'm not going to take it to that extreme. But if you, if you look at where, where did you gather the ideas from the, from the restaurant perspective? Was this purely, you know, out of Alex's brain or were there places around the world that you had seen that had lent some kind of uh, inspiration to all of this? Well, first of all, for me, the one thing you need to know is I'm vegetarian since I'm 21 years old. So the, the number one thing when I moved back to Vancouver, to Montreal, because I was in Vancouver until 2012, I was there for 10 years. And over there, it was very easy for me to, to eat vegetarian. But when I came back to Montreal, it was very, very difficult, you know, like uh, one choice of pasta, one choice of salad was pretty much all I could get. So that, that was very, very important for me to, to build a place veggie friendly. And then also the, the cocktail game was very, very important. And, and then uh, in Vancouver in the States, I seen those Caesars with the food on it. So I really wanted to bring that to Montreal and, and just like, uh, I mean, a term that I don't like, but like food porn was like really going crazy. And, 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 but you couldn't find it in Montreal, you know, you could only see it online. So I wanted to do like just crazy play where people are just spoiling themselves and going crazy for an affordable price. Like that was like really like, so I had like this old concept in my head. And when I came up with the name El Grolux, I was like, Oh my God, the name is so good. And it was very fun to build around it. And for sure, like my business plan went from even before we opened went from, okay, this is not going to be one restaurant. It's going to be a chain. I was inspired obviously by other people that were growing quite fast across Canada uh, and I was like, if those guys can do it, I can do it. And uh, I always, I was always thinking about having a franchise. So uh, it was my opportunity and I just jumped on it. It's been described as a casque de haut de gamme. And these days there are a bunch. I mean, you've really had an impact. You really influenced uh, quite a movement there. I mean, there's, there's, there's a trend right now. Do, do you feel like uh, you've been well uh, made a tribute, I guess? I don't say copied, but certainly there have been a lot of tribute uh, restaurants out there. 
For sure. And especially, like I said, even everyone bringing the cocktail games into their restaurant. It wasn't a thing. Before it was like speakeasy, bar, restaurant. You could not have both in the same place. And uh, yeah, with the mac and cheese and the crazy puts in and all that that stuff that we did, we, we sure did influence a lot of people. Even vegetarian restaurants have exploded since then. And a lot of them are comfort food oriented, which is awesome, you know? Um, yeah, so I, I guess one of the questions I have for you is as you go into a community to personalize the restaurant, which is what you've been trying to do, right? You've been trying to take this, this brand, maintain, I guess, the culture of the brand, but fit it into a community. Not always that easy. And I mean, if you look at where some of the restaurants are, even some of the outlying areas, you know, you're not just sitting in the Montreal area. What's the first and the foremost uh, thought in your mind when you go in to build uh, a, a restaurant in a community. What kind of? How do you define the culture, and where do, where do you go for that that inspiration or that influence? Well, first of all, uh, I, I try to. I'm very humble when I go there. I don't show up like you know. I have like a restaurant in Chicoutimi, which is five hours away from here. Uh, we are in Victoriaville, like super small town. And so me, I really show up there, and I'm very humble. And I'm and I don't call it just Grolux. It's Grolux Chicoutimi, Grolux Victoriaville. There's no restaurant that it's just Grolux. It's always Grolux and the name of the neighborhood or the town. So, and then we hire, we, we, we do our homework. We try to really hire like the influencer guy, the cool guy, the people that people respect. And we really give them a lot of leeway in building the team around them. And uh, again, when people meet me, because I'm always there for the opening, I, I'm very friendly and then somehow I'm able to, to, to put the community on my side. We'll support like a local organization, local events and just be very, very involved and offer, you know, great price and cool. Basically, we bring that Montreal vibe, but without that Montreal uh, staff, I guess, you know, right. the, 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 big city, the big city feel you're trying. You're trying to have a more local feel. Like So many times I was in Victorville in our location. I felt like I was in Milan, but I was in Victorville and people were happy and smiling and looking good. And I was like, wow, like, but so even, happy. even even internally, I mean, the, 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 the design, the decor is 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 regional, right? It's not a standard model for every single restaurant. No, because uh, I do all the interior design. So I go to antique shops and I just buy really old stuff. Like I'm talking between 80 to 200 years old, like frames, lights and different stuff. So every restaurants are different. And as soon as you go in, it tells a story because there's so much history behind each of those items that you see that it's very, very inspiring. And everybody from every generation just enjoys it i call them a museum i'm always telling people please get up walk around check it out like talk about it it's so interesting alex basic question obviously we talked about the uh the COVID situation earlier in the program um the hardest hit industry probably uh the restaurant industry here in quebec how are you how is your staff how's everyone doing well extremely disappointed obviously that's uh, the least i can say you know like uh imagine like you you're being told you're you're growing up in a system that's called capitalism and they say open your business do what you want the harder you work you'll do super well and then one day they're telling you you have to close all your eight restaurants fire well fire all your staff for a certain amount of time and you cannot open until we tell you to open but you still have to pay your hydro your rent this that 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 it makes no sense so for me i'm extremely upset and extremely disappointed uh, on how this was handled i'm not saying it wasn't right i'm just saying 
if they're going to close us. I mean, I know that the federal government helped us a lot here in Canada, not the same across the world. So, and this is a, a worldwide pandemic and uh, I have a lot of issue with what's going on, obviously, you know. Yeah, Alex, it was one of those things that we were talking about in the earlier segment, which is this mm-hmm. whole discussion of, you know, where do you take the direction and, and the managing risk, I think. You know, what we did in the past, I, I think I agree, a lot of it was was well done. It was correctly done, whether we agreed to it, the timing of it, where it was, when that should have stopped. I, I guess we could debate that for the rest of our lives. The reality is we have to move forward at this point. And the key to moving forward here is going to be to managing risk. And, and I think some kind of, you know, consistent appeal from the government, uh, uh, you know, whether that's just provincial and or federal uh, is, is going to go a long way in helping us manage that risk and making us feel comfortable to make decisions. And, you know, right now you've had that decision making process taken away from you. And, and, and I know for anybody who's a, a type A personality, and an entrepreneur to have that taken away from you is, uh, is, is not an easy task and it can be very, very frustrating. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think we're finally going to turn the corner, but I do, you know, I do. I guess I don't want to say I plead, but I certainly urge the the government to start trying to find a way for us to help us manage those risks as opposed to just trying to be uh, the way we've been. And I think the hospitality industry, uh, you know, the restaurant industry, uh, cinemas, everybody else, we need to, to, you know, to start getting things moving again. Yeah. Well, I hate to say it, but the only way to manage it is with money. You know, that's the main issue. You know, it's like the bills are still coming in. Uh, we're losing staff like crazy. We're, we have to rehire all the time. And uh, the staff is just not even the same beast that it was before the pandemic. Like people are reacting completely differently. So yeah, maybe let's just take that uh, into a bit of a direction there on the discussion of staffing and people. I mean, one of the things that obviously we've uh, everybody's had a hard time with is being somewhere between the uh, people don't want to work anymore, the government subsidies that have come in to to support that, uh, and a very interesting shift in the workforce in the hospitality industry away from a lot of younger people to an older uh, group uh, coming back into after they've either had kids or kids are a bit older to come back into the hospitality. Are, are you seeing that as, I mean, right now, I guess there's not too many people at all, but the reality is when they came back and when you see yourself going forward, uh, you know, are, are you going to have young hip or are they going to be a little more experienced when it comes to wait staff? I don't think so, man. I mean, people are really acting weird these days, man. They're, they're taking any opportunity not to show up to work. I don't even understand how they pay their bill at the end of the month. Uh, people really like lost faith after probably even the second shutdown, you know, never mind the third and the fourth. Like this, <laughs> it's going to be extremely, extremely tough to rebuild the, the, the all the restaurant and have enough staff. Like I don't, it's going to be extremely tough. Like I'm really, really concerned with that, to be honest. I, I will tell you, Alex, if there's anything that encourages me and it should encourage you that hum, humankind is known for two things, a really short memory and mm-hmm. greed. And if you put those two things together with a short memory and some greed, once we start to get some momentum, I think you're going to see a lot of positivity come back. But, you know, I, the I question so. in the meantime is to is to keep your uh, your head going, keep the businesses afloat and uh, and go from there. But I am I am I'm definitely bullish and positive long term. I think we still have a little bit of roughness in front of us. No, we're, we're very resilient as well. You know, so, of course, we're we're, we're, we're going to go through it and we will prevail but um, yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a, such a fun industry, which is why I'm in it. You know, like me, my heart is into it. You know, I'm a, uh, that's why I like hosting. I like having people over, you know, that's why it's been very tough as well for me to work in my restaurant with a mask in my face because I can't even smile to my people. So 
I'm approaching table, like, how's everything, you know? And people are like, they're like, they're looking at me, they're not sure what I want, you know? Like, so, so I'm it's, looking forward. It's very interesting. I've seen a lot of people trying to, you know, communicate through the eyes, right? So yeah, with the masks on. And some people have gone to winking, okay? And I've come to the point and realized I'm a 55-year-old white male. If I wink at anybody below about 45, I'm going to jail. So I got to be very careful. <laughs> no winking, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know. Uh, l- 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 let's take it in a different direction. The, ho- the whole discussion when you started the restaurant, uh, you know, did you have the franchise model in mind? I mean, and, and how far into uh, the first girl looks did you decide to go franchise? Well, like I said, like just when I was writing the, 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 the business plan, because I always write a business plan. That's my rule. Number one, I like writing my business plan and do all my sales projection and write my marketing plan and all that fun stuff. And immediately it was like, OK, Milan, Plateau, St. Henry, Quebec City. Like I, I wrote down 22 city or neighborhood where I was like, this is where Grolix needs to be and let's get it going now. And before we even opened the first door, we already had signed the lease for Plateau and Milan because we couldn't choose which location we liked the best. So I said, fuck it, <laughs> let's sign both and let's go for it. I was so confident in the concept uh, that I went for it. And I mean, in the first five years, I opened nine corporate restaurants and eventually, because it was too much work, obviously, I started to sell each location as a franchise to different people so they can take over and run it. And then uh, that's what, that's how I was able to turn it into a franchise. And then with my accountant, I was able to, to reach bigger groups to help me reach even another bigger level. So have you opened any as franchises from day one or have they all been converted from corporate to franchise? Uh, yeah, there was only one <laughs> that uh, it opened as a franchise. Every other location, I actually did it myself, you know, so uh, I put uh, my money where my mouth is, I guess that's okay. something we said. <laughs> do, you, do you see your, I mean, once we come out of the pandemic and, and do you see yourself potentially opening more under the franchise model? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, right now we have uh, more location in negotiation. Laval is happening. Uh, uh, Sherbrooke is coming back, probably a second location in Quebec City. We will reach 25, 30 location at some point. Uh, it's an incredible brand. It's a really fun environment from every detail, you know, from the decor to the music, to the food, to the menu, to the way of doing our marketing, the way of approaching. I, I, I think this this brand has so much potential, even could even do well in the States and Ontario, even though it has a French name, I still think like the business model is so solid and, uh, you know, Quebec, we're known for good food. So let's go. Yeah, definitely. I, I could see, I could see one in Brooklyn. I'm just saying. Man, me too. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I want to talk about your book. Um, Les Affaires described you as l'entrepreneur punk anti-capitaliste. Uh, your book is called Sortir du Cadre, so Thinking Outside the Box. Mm-hmm. How do you harness the punk? How do you harness creatives, your own creativity and the creatives in your business um, in order to get down to business? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, at a very young age, I realized that we're in a system where uh, money rules everything. And uh, I had two choices, either work for someone or start my own business. And uh, it was always hard for me to have buses or authority above me. And then I started to listen to punk rock music and read all those different opinion about the government and the situation in the world, like from so many levels. So it really struck me and I really had to be different. And I really like for me, life is all about respect from every level, like human, animals, planet. 
that came in my life in a very, very young age. And I really wanted to help those bands spread this message. And that's why I started my first business as a, a record store venue. I really wanted to have a place where we can all meet and greet and talk about those issues and try to influence more, 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 more people. That was really my mission at the beginning. It's to get as many people as possible in this community and have this mentality, have this message. And how can we remain ourselves but live in this planet live in this society which is why i call my first brand underworld you know it was an underworld where hey we're going to build this bubble to remain ourselves and remain weird but also work in the system because i do apply for my permit i play the game you know so i just wanted to be kind of smarter than the the the, the 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 system and you know but at the end participate like be by the book so i can be in business for many years and provide a good work environment to a lot of people i mean in my lifetime i hire over three thousand people and some of those people still work for me 20 years later it's crazy it's amazing alex bastid le gros luxe thanks so much for the chat it was super interesting I, i'd like you to hang on for a few more minutes we're going to have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur first though mike let's talk about working with creatives and i'm the expert on the show today so talking about public relations um i do have a pr content business called tnkr media and uh, we, we basically work with a lot of creatives and try to harness their punkness or their creativity to uh put that into a communications plan so figured now would be a good time to talk that uh, talk about that with our our punk restauranteur. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, first, do you want to start with the basics of PR? Well, first, I want to say, if you think I'm sticking to script on this one, when I get a chance to drill you, you're sadly mistaken. So bear with me. Uh, oh, yeah, put I me do. on the grill. I love it. Yeah, yeah you're perfect. <laughs> uh, no, I, I do want to, and I'm going to ask you an interesting question because I've had this question asked me many times. What's the difference, the difference between PR and marketing? And, you know, and, and I know for anybody who's in the industry, it's, it, it, it's kind of like a really stupid question, but uh, I live with accountants and you know sometimes they get some interesting questions it's not a stupid question at all it's a really important one so technically pr is a form of marketing so if we look in marketing textbooks pr is a specialization of marketing uh, that deals not so much with uh, week to week quarter to quarter sales uh, not so much with traditional advertising but uh, community management or the the dialogue the brand the ongoing relationship and communications channels between the brand and its audience so that's that's work that happens over the long term we do have pr sprints pr campaigns and everything but generally we work with people for a bare minimum of six months and uh, our oldest clients have been with, with us for seven eight years uh, and and more managing their communications we tend to work with leaders, so we report either to the head of marketing or to the CEO or to the entrepreneur, and we work with them to uh, do newsletters, uh, thought leadership pieces, uh, social media, of course, podcasts, increasingly popular. So it's anything that feeds the leadership communications aspect of your marketing plan. How does PR or how has PR changed uh, in the last two years based on, uh, on everything. I mean, I'm sure there's been a lot of crisis management and uh, which I know PR does a lot of work in, but have you found there been a significant change in the work that you're doing or in the attitude of people or just in general? It has changed significantly. Uh, there were two major changes, one in 2016 with the change to social networks and the other due to the pandemic. So that first change transformed our social networks like Facebook and Twitter into more advertising platforms. So in the good old days, you could publish anything and everyone would have an equal chance of success. And so the bold content, the interesting content would rise to the top very easily and off you go. 
These days, you have to actually pay to play on some of these websites. And so it does require a lot of money to get noticed on social media. It's not our preferred way because we don't think it's organic, frankly. So the route now for PR is longer. It's harder. It's more intricate. It requires planning. And it's done certainly over the long term with uh, content uh, strewn throughout the process um, on a weekly or, uh, or at least on a monthly basis. You have to keep that conversation going, be persistent, be prepared to do a year, two years of writing and podcasting with few results. And uh, it's that consistency and that dependability that in the end um, will, uh, will sort of rise above. And then, of course, you have your crisis times, which give you fewer news opportunities to, to, re to get organic coverage in media. So that just requires some more planning and, uh, and definitely uh, providing more resources, certainly, to journalists and other, uh, other media who may be interested in your brand. That explanation kind of blows out of water my visual of PR. I always thought it was a really creative medium, and and it sounded like that was very technical. There's a lot of stuff in here that's very technical. What is this? Is it is it creative? Is it technical? Is it both? Is it where do you yeah, go? Yeah, it? it depends on the agency, I guess. Uh, we take a very hybrid approach, so we work with a lot of creatives, but we also have a fairly rigid internal system. So we do schedule creative time, so brainstorming, research, discussion. Um, our media coaching sessions, I, I call that media therapy in quotation marks, because it's often talking about one's anxieties, public speaking, uh, one's attitudes towards media, which are increasingly skeptical for, for some not completely invalid reasons. Um, so it's, it's a process and it does involve a lot of creative time, but it has to be on deadline. Of course, it has to be in a context that is productive for your business and also guiding uh, the, the, the guidelines in line with your marketing plan. So there's a lot to factor in. So we have a few levels. We have your, our consultants, which would typically be someone like me talking with the entrepreneur, getting to know them. We have our producers who are producing the content in English and French, our social specialists who are promoting it and our media relations consultants who are then promoting the final product. So it's a really step-by-step -step system. But the early days, uh, the brainstorming is often some of the most fun because we get to really get to know a leader. We tell them, just sell, send us all these documents, just bombard us with paperwork. Let's get to know you. Let's have some conversations, talk about your goals and uh, talk about how you want to be a leader and, and what that means uh, in your communications plan. I think the translation from uh, a leader into how you interpret the information and move forward has got to be interesting. I mean, most leaders have very specific styles. Some are a little squarer than others. Some are a little more open. And obviously, dealing with head of marketing, you're going to get a very different creative type. Um, you know, I discuss that challenge maybe, and uh, who you who you like working with the most. We tend to work with professional services firms. Um, not a huge surprise, obviously, because of my longstanding work with you guys and Today's Entrepreneur. And uh, in some ways, we produce now a whole bunch of little Today's Entrepreneur type uh, programs or, or content platforms. And uh, we find that because our team is stacked with a lot of former journalists, uh, people that are, uh, some are former science reporters, uh, some are former news reporters, they're very comfortable wading into some very complicated, dense and in sometimes critical materials. So we work in healthcare, in law, in real estate, uh, areas that were very active during the pandemic. And we're very comfortable also in uh, crisis scenarios because a lot of us are former uh, breaking news producers and reporters. So we love the professional services. Uh, we like stuff that's a bit dense and complicated. And we love stuff um, that uh, takes a bit of effort to explain. Um, we're not so good in retail marketing, which is more visual. The thought leadership comes from people that are often experts, professionals, academics, et cetera. So when, 
when, when, when does somebody like me as a leader of an organization look at you and go, okay, it's time to jump into PR. And when is it time to stop? I mean, I'm sure there's a time to start and a time to stop uh, like everything else. You start almost on day one. The PR person can be involved in setting up your brand. So just naming the company. Um, often, obviously, you want to focus on marketing and sales first, which is your first priority. And then when you're ready, when you have the free time, when you've delegated some of those operational responsibilities to someone, then you take time for your PR consultant. We try to get you speaking gigs. We write with you a little bit. So once you are able to just take some time away and, and have the space to think, then you talk to your PR person, but you have to create that time yourself. That's very important. And you have to book that time every month, every couple of weeks with your PR person to have that space to think about communications because it does not come naturally to people throughout their busy work day. I laugh. You said the word public speaking and you had this discussion of getting speaking gigs. I mean, you've got some people whose uh, egos are rather large and uh, I, you have to manage them one way. And you've got other people who, you know, can barely speak in public. Uh, I, I guess that's one of those unknowns before you put them out there uh, or you suggest that. How, how do you manage that? How do you deal with uh, the, between the egos and the, and the shy? Everyone who is passionate about their business or an expert in a particular field has that in them somewhere deep down. Not everyone needs to be a TV star. Not everyone needs to be a social media star. We'll work together with you to find the medium that's comfortable for you. So maybe you don't want to put yourself out there visually. Maybe the podcast is the medium for you. Maybe you're an excellent writer and want to skip all of that multimedia stuff. Let's do that. Ultimately, it should be a, a process that finds something that you, you like doing. You should have fun doing it. You should find it enjoyable. And, uh, and we'll, we'll hopefully try to get you there. But in the meantime, it's sort of um, an internal conversation uh, with the entrepreneur. You know, how do they want to spend their communications time and, and just what, what makes them happy. It's got to be interesting. You know, you see a lot of situations uh, and a lot of, and not, not that I'm saying PR is, is a commercials, but it's part of the, it's part of the, part of the plan. And you see these people who do their own commercials and do their own things. You got to think, man, these people do not have anybody helping them on PR. There's certain times where you just shouldn't do things on your own. Well, sometimes PR people try to be traditional, untraditional or, or edgy and doesn't work out. Other times uh, they kind of hang back when they should be putting the pedal to the metal. It is a very creative medium. So it's, it's difficult to sort of judge sometimes. And let's pause on PR and go to Alex. Talking about thought leadership, Alex, uh, what is your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Well, my one piece of advice to any entrepreneur is definitely get ready, prepare yourself. As I mentioned earlier, I think writing a business plan is the number one thing. And in the business plan, you need to make sure that it's complete. Like you just talked about PR, marketing, all your financial you're, you know, like prepare all the numbers. Like you need to make sure that it's going to work because, you know, starting a business is a big move. It's you're talking about sometimes investing your lifetime economies into one project and you need to go talk to lawyers and accountant and PR people and, and, you know, not just work on your own on it and ask people opinion, you know, whatever is the business you're going to do, retail, restaurant, like, is it making sense? You really have to prepare yourself because you may leave your job. You're going to, like I said, invest your, your money. You're going to hire people, their human resources, are they going to be available? Like you really need to look at every angle, like do a full analyst of your business before you go full force. Because I've seen so many people sometimes and they, they, they're like, oh, this is what I want to do. And I'm listening. I'm like, no, but you forgot that, that, that. Do you know that you have to pay business tax? Do you know about this, your, your tax number? Did you think about your sign? Like 
you, you really have to write everything down and make sure you forgot nothing before you go full force. And it's all about the preparation. And that's the best thing I can give as an advice. I have to say, Alex, that, uh, you know, when, when we looked at doing the punk uh, entrepreneur, the punk capitalist today, the last thing I thought we were going to be talking about was business plans and technical organizational structures. So if anybody out there who's listening who thinks you don't need one, this is coming from an individual who comes from an outside of the box thinking, and he realizes you need to do things properly. So kudos to you. Hey, no argument here. Uh, harness the punk, right, Alex? Well, it's just like I said, you know, like you work into a system, but you still got to play smart, you know, because if you decide to become an entrepreneur, if you, dis if you consider yourself outside the box, well, you know, you still got to survive and make it all the way because, you know, like I work to live, you know, and I want to have a good life. Unfortunately, you need money to have a good life in this world right now, you need, and you need money to feed your family and take care of your friends and take care of your family. So, you know, you, you, you have to participate, you know, that, and that's a way to find your kind of free freedom. You know, I'm able to, I'm still skateboarding. I'm still snowboarding. I'm still going to punk rock show, you know, and I'm 46 and I plan to do this until I die, you know, and because I got organized and because I got involved and I play the game, I'm living the life I always wanted. And that's what life is all about somehow. Amazing, Alex. Thanks so much. Uh, it's Alex Bastide from Le Gros Lux. The book is called Sortir du Cadre. Uh, thanks so much, Alex. Take care. Thank you. Next week on Today's Entrepreneur, don't forget todaysentrepreneur.org for over a decade, almost a decade and a half of entrepreneur stories. Uh, don't forget on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all your platforms. See you back here next week. Talk.